And look what it says in, in verse 9. It says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Remember, James, the half-brother of Jesus, was a it may have been the first epistle written in the New Testament, the first book, the first letter, whatever you want to refer to it as. And more than likely, James was the pastor in Jerusalem. You read Acts chapter 15 and Galatians chapter 2, and it seems to appear that way. And so James was packed with wisdom. He was known as camel knees. He prayed and prayed and prayed. And so it's a great little letter that I think God can use in our life to make us mature Christians. Uh, sometimes what happens in life as a Christian is we grow old, but we don't, you know, uh, grow up. And the Lord is just saying, hey, by now, you should be teachers. Some people, they're still Christians. They've been Christians for a long time, but they're still drinking milk from the bottle. And God is saying, no, it's time not only for solid food, but for me, and I want to use you in a crazy way that will blow your mind. And that's why it's such a cool thing to be able to go through the book of James and just ask, Lord, mature me. Lord, make me a strong, deeply devoted, completely committed Christian who will bring you glory and honor and who will be used by you to bring others good. And so as we're going through this text, we're going through it kind of slow because my prayer is that we will take everything to heart. And here we only have three verses, but believe it or not, there's a lot packed in here. First thing we're going to see is the exaltation of the lowly, the exaltation of the lowly. The second thing is the humiliation of the rich, the humiliation of the rich. And then the last point is what I call flower power. And we'll talk about that. And basically what he's saying, you guys, is he's saying rejoice, rejoice. Why the long face? Why are you bummed out? You know, why don't you glory? Why don't you praise? Why don't you worship? Because it doesn't matter who you are. If you're saved, your name is written in the book of life. If you're saved, then the Bible says rejoice. Don't rejoice just because demons are subject to your name. Jesus said rejoice because your name is written in the book of life. And so he says, this is what James says. He says, to the lowly, glory. Glory in your exaltation. If you're, if you're poor, if you're lowly, if you're this crazy, wretched, wicked sinner, but God has saved you, glory in your exaltation. And if you're rich, he really basically says, if you're rich, then glory in your humiliation. How some people, they're rich, and for a rich person to get saved, it's rare and it's hard. But when a rich person gets saved, whoa, man, that's a miracle. I don't know for sure about Kanye West. The Lord knows whether or not he really gave his life to the Lord. But if he did, I mean, praise God for that. And that's what he says. And he goes on and he talks about how 
you know, we're all going to die. It's, it could happen suddenly, but it will happen certainly. And so we have to make sure that our pursuits are proper. And so it's kind of a cool text. Again, look at verse 9. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Now, he uses the word brother, so he's definitely speaking about Christians. And he, and he says, hey, let the, the poor and lowly Christian glory or boast or rejoice in the way that God has lifted you up. And so, you know, you're here today, and if you're a Christian, I want you to know that God has exalted you, that God has lifted you up. And you might wonder, well, how has God exalted me? In three things we see in the Bible, number one, you've been justified. Number two, you've been sanctified. And then number three, you are glorified. And that's really ultimately, I think, what James is talking about. But if you're a Christian, then you have been lifted up, not only from the grave, man, you've been lifted up from hell. God just lifted you up. You're, you're lowly, we're weak, we're bankrupt. We have no spiritual righteousness of our own. You know, the context is definitely speaking of poverty and financials, finances and stuff like that. But, but, but just to think, uh, the lowly has been justified. How many of you here are crazy? You were just drug addicts, you were addicted to the sexual sin. I mean, you were drinking, you were cussing like a sailor, you were so lost, you were not really interested in God, or maybe you were interested in God, you read the Bible, you didn't understand really what it meant. I remember where I was before I was a Christian. I would read the Bible until I was dead. My, I would just, I would read and I didn't understand anything. I was dead. And then, you know, the Lord, he raised me up. He saved me. So now I'm justified, someone as wicked as me. And if I told you guys some of the things I did before I was a Christian, you probably wouldn't believe me because I know you, you, know, you look at me and you're now and you're like, oh man, he, you know, he's a pastor and he's all squeaky clean and all that. But I tell you what, I did some horrible things, horrible things before I was a Christian. But now I am justified God has lifted me up and God has forgiven me of my sins. It was nailed to the cross. Like we sang right now, we will never know how much it costs to see those sins upon the cross, upon Jesus. And I was thinking about that as we were singing the song. You mean to tell me that in heaven, even in heaven, forever, I'll never know how much it costs? No, no. I mean, now when God looks at you, to be justified means that you are declared legally righteous in the eyes of the holy God, that when he looks at you because you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, it's just as if you'd never sinned. So he says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. You were dead, but now you are alive and then secondly, let him glory in his exaltation. I think it means not just justified, but sanctified. And basically, you know, what we read in the book of Psalms, for example, in chapter 75, 6, and 7, that exaltation doesn't come from the east or the west or the south. It comes from the north. That God raises up one and God puts down another. What God does is he raises up people to do what? To use their life. To be sanctified, it means that you're, you're set apart. You know, you are set apart for his use. And so let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation and that he has been justified and let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation 
that he's been sanctified. And it doesn't have to be up here in the front. Wherever God has called you to serve him, it's there that the God of the universe uses your life. You are a tool in his hand. You are a weapon in his hand. You are a vessel in his hand. You know, it was Moses, it was David, it was Solomon. They all said this, who am I? Who am I? David's like, who am I that you would take me from following the sheep to be the king of Israel and to lead the people that you love? Who am I? God had brought Moses down so far that now he's a shepherd for 40 years without hope. In the eyes of the Egyptians, the shepherds were all despised. And so when God finally appeared to him and said, I want to use your life, Moses is like, who am I? Who am I? But you want to know something? God has chosen every single one of you to somewhere, somehow serve him. And so we rejoice. You guys, we rejoice, we glory, we relish in this, we boast in this. You know, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, the way that he's justified, the way that he's sanctified, and then ultimately the way that he and she are, are, are glorified. And what that means, you guys, is that you have been lifted up all the way from the pits of hell, the slimiest, darkest place of torture forever and ever. You, we, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ have been lifted up and we are seated in the heavenly places. That's what the Bible says. You know, we're we're joint heirs with Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, did you know that? Do you know that, that you are seated in the heavenly places? In Christ Jesus? You know, I don't know if that makes you happy. I mean, doesn't that make you guys happy? How many of you guys are like, hey, that's pretty cool. (laughs) You know, the other day we went to Disneyland and we had such a great time there. Um, But I will will honestly say that the day started off a little difficult because one of the new rides or features they have at Disneyland is called the Rise of the Resistance. Have you guys heard about that? Okay, there are like tens of thousands of people that are going to Disneyland even now under limited circumstances. And in order for you to get a seat in this ride, you have to literally go on your, your phone, on your app, your Disneyland app, and at 7 a.m. you have to try to get in there because the thing fills up in like 10 seconds, you know? And so there I am, we're trying, trying, oh, we didn't get in. And I tell you what, it was kind of a bummer. But then at noon, we tried again, and then, boom, three seconds, we got in. We were so happy. <laughs> you know, and it was, a, it was a good ride. I liked it, you know. Um, and, you know, I was just thinking, though, as we're going through our study here, I mean, I mean yep, that, you celebrate. My wife was happy. My daughter, we were all happy. My son. But, but, but just think about this. There's one thing to have a seat on the rise of the resistance. It's another thing to have a seat in heaven. And and that's what James is saying because he's writing to Jewish Christians who have been scattered, who have been persecuted, who have been catapulted out of their home, who lost their job, they lost their money, they're bankrupt, they're poor, and he could tell them, oh, I feel so sorry for you. But he doesn't do that. He says, let the lowly brother glory 
in his exaltation. We have been justified, we have been sanctified, and we have been glorified. And I tell you what, when you begin, and it's almost like the way James started the book, count it all joy when you fall into when you you just have that attitude of joy. Nehemiah chapter 8 in verse 10, it says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. If you don't have that joy, if you don't glory in it, if you don't rejoice in it, then you probably won't have the strength you need to live this life. It's an interesting verse. He says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Now, there are some who just know that they're low. Some, they already know that. But maybe you're here today, and anyone here today, you're, you don't have any money in your bank. I'm sorry, I won't want you to raise your hand. <laughs> you know, maybe you're here and you're poor. Maybe you're here and you think you're poor because you don't own a home. Maybe you live paycheck to paycheck. Maybe you're here, you don't even get a paycheck. Maybe you don't have a job and you've been brought low because you've been let go. We can be lowly in poverty and financially. And I think contextually, that's why what James is talking about because he contrasts it with the rich. But there's other ways of being low, right? Maybe you've been put down all your life. All your life, you've been put down. Maybe you're hurting inside. Something happened. Someone hurts you. Maybe you're physically challenged. Maybe you didn't graduate you know, from college or high school, whatever it might be, and others look down on you. Maybe you're here and you just look down on yourself. Some people, unfortunately, they have a hard time discovering their intrinsic value in the fact that they were created in the image of God. You're beautiful. He loves you, but a lot of times people have a hard time even seeing their value as a person created by God himself, custom design, knit together in their mother's womb. Maybe you're here and you're low, you're down, you're discouraged. What James is saying is, listen, are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, then he said, rejoice, glory in your exaltation. We're commanded to rejoice in the way that God has lifted us up. You know, and I want to encourage you to just stop for a moment and think about that. You're among the few that have found the narrow way to heaven. We have to realize and deeply discover that as disciples, we've experienced salvation. And with that salvation comes this exaltation. God lifts up the lowly. And maybe that's you and you need to know that. Psalm 138, verse 6, it says, Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly. Job 5.11 says, He sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. Luke 152 was this uh, word from Mary, and maybe she was probably 14 years old, maybe 15, 16, just a little teenager, and someone would think she's insignificant, but God said, I'm going to use her. I'm going to use her life. And so she said in Luke 1, uh, 52, he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. God does that. You know, I want to encourage you guys just to know this and to relish in it and to glory in it and to rejoice in it. Again, like I said, there's no doubt that James is addressing poor people in a literal sense, people who don't have a lot of money, but what we see here is that persecution of the church had brought them to that place. 
And what we need to know, because maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I don't have a lot of money. Just understand, not that money is everything, but it's, this is just a temporary thing. You know, when you're serving the Lord and you put your treasures in heaven, Jim Elliot, he said, no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. The treasures in the kingdom of God now and now and then are reasons for us to rejoice. Remember what Jesus told the church in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 9? He was speaking to Smyrna, the persecuted church, the one who went through difficulties. And he says, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. There are many people, if they want to, they can stop serving God and start making more money. We will all be tested by that God of mammon. We all must make choices. I remember when I was asked to come on staff, not that I'm the example because believe you me, I still struggle with that, but going on staff, going on a church uh, staff, I took a 40% decrease in pay. Don't get a raise for maybe like a decade. It doesn't matter. God has provided for all of our needs. And so all I'm saying is that, you know what? Eventually, you're going to be tested. All of us here will. The ultimate exaltation of our salvation really is our final destination. I know it's hard for us to wait, but um, like we sang the song, I was thinking about it when he was singing it. If we wait on the Lord, if we wait on the Lord, then we're going to have this strength. I might live in a tent now, but that's not a problem because I have a home in heaven that doesn't dilapidate. Where the food is fine dining forever, where you eat pizza, you don't gain weight. The clothes and the crowns, they're custom made. The Bible says in Romans eight seventeen that I'm a joint heir with Christ so that everything he has is mine. So I'm not sweating it. I'm not worrying about what I have now too much because I know I'm laying up treasures in heaven. You know, and for us, we're going to talk about this. I don't know if I can just ask you guys a quiz question, okay? Let me ask you a quick question. Are you poor or are you rich? I mean, just some people will say, well, Manny, all I have is beans and rice and Jesus Christ, and I feel poor, you know, fideo, whatever, I don't know, you know? And uh, I don't know, like going to Cambodia, and walking through the dump village where they live next to the dump. That's where they get everything. And then going down yonder in Cambodia and walking in the trash village where what they do is they go and they pick trash and that's how they build their homes. You know, going to Cambodia and eating ant soup. Ant soup. I mean, and these are Christians, and, and you know, here I am, I'm this American, and I come, and, and what can I say? I can't really say much, but thank God James can. You know, you go over there, and, and they don't have potato chips, they eat cockroaches, or maybe water bugs, whatever you want to call them, that's fine. Probably more nutritious than potato chips, but I will say this, that man, you know, to have meat on any given day, other than the veggies and the rice that they have is a, 
And that we're talking about the people who have a little bit more money in the capital of Cambodia, Phnom Penh. And so, you know, what James is saying to, to these Jewish Christians who have been scattered and persecuted, what James is saying to the people, and we've seen it in Mexico, we've seen it in Cambodia, we've seen it in Nepal, he says, I know it's tough. I know you might be thinking when you're looking at all these people in America and they have so much stuff. You know, I don't know what goes through your mind. Maybe you think you're not loved, but I want you to know you are. I want you to know that you can glory in your exaltation. You know, because what we have now is, is just a drop by night. It's just a little smidgen of time, this little dash in eternity. Now, I don't know where you're at. Financially, if you're low, or physically, you're low. Emotionally, you're low. But I want you to know that because you're a Christian, you need to understand, you need to receive it, you need to open up your heart, that you have been exalted, that you have a seat reserved for you in the heavenly places. That's what we see in the Bible says. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Why? Why, Lord? Why can't I accumulate it now? Because Jesus said it very simply, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's why some people, their hearts are here because everything they have is here. And so, you know, when you look at James, I think we can take it at face value, the poverty financially, but of course, we know there's more to it. You've been justified, Romans 3.24. You've been sanctified, 1 Corinthians 1.2. You've been glorified. I mean, isn't it a really nice feeling to know that we're forgiven? I mean, isn't that a really cool thing to know, all the sins, past, present, and future have been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, the book uh, that Ryan uh, wrote, I want to encourage you to read it. It's a great book, you know, and he's very, uh, not just transparent, homeboy's graphic, you know, and he tells you all the craziness, and there he was in this hotel room in Panama about to overdose and die. I mean, there's a guy that had been raised in the church and he knew better. His parents loved him. They loved him. But he chose to go his own way. You know, to whom much is given, much more is required. But you know what? The Lord came and just washed away all those sins and exalted him, saved and sanctified, now serving the Lord. And God can do that in your life. I pray we would know that. You know, let the the lowly rejoice in this, that we were saved, saved to serve, and saved to serve and sit in the heavenly places. I wanted to take you to a couple of verses. If you would, go to Luke chapter 5. And we read in verse 1. Luke chapter 5, it says, So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he, Jesus, stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And so he's by the lake, and like everybody's kind of pushing, you know, towards him. And 
and they saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat him to put him down from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon, the expert fisherman, answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. He did it grudgingly. And now when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets was breaking. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats. And so they began to sink. Think about that. They got so many fish that the boat started sinking. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. And so when they had brought their notes to, boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. I bring that story up because to me, you know, I don't know if any of you guys can relate to that, but here's Simon and basically thinking, you know, I don't deserve it. You know, I'm such a wretched man. I, I, I can't be saved. It's not possible that the God of the universe would want me it's like some people, they push God away, believe it or not. They, they push God away or they run away from God because they just think they're just so bad. There's just no way God could love me, someone like me, who I am and what I've done and what I'm experiencing. And so Peter says, depart from me. God, get away from me because I'm a sinful man. But what did the Lord do? He said, Simon, I love you. Simon, don't be afraid. You come just as you are. You come and you watch what I'll do. I'm going to save you and I'm going to use you. And now where is Peter? Where is Peter? Homeboys in heaven. And that's why it's so cool when you look at what God does through individuals who are so low and he just exalts them to save and then to serve and then to be seated in heaven, to be justified. And what we see all these things sanctified and glorified in the Lord. You know, I love the way that God can take our lives and use it even though we're not worthy. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, it gives the whole breakdown of how one time we were on the slippery slope without hope, headed for hell, we were dead, we were dead, we were dead in our sins. We were dead in our sins. We were running according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, who now works in the sons of disobedience. We, had, we were just lost. But God, who was rich in mercy, he saved us. And it says he seated us, in verse 6, in heavenly places. And so I pray as a church, you guys, that we would be um, a happy church. I pray that we would rejoice. I, I, I want to see smiles right now, right now. 
I want you guys to be happy because he says, let the lowly one, let the lowly brother, you know, glory in his exaltation. But then secondly, he says, the rich, uh, it's a little different. This is in verse nine, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. And what do you mean by that, Manny? And some say he's being sarcastic and he's putting down rich people, but really that's not what he's doing. What he's saying is that if you're a rich person and you got saved, you should glory in the fact, rejoice in the fact that he brought you to that place of honesty and transparency to where you would acknowledge that you actually need God. He's actually saying that, that God has knocked him off of his high horse and brought him to this place of humility, and he's actually come to see that he needs God. And that's a miracle, because like I said earlier, for a rich person to get saved is rare, and for a rich person to get saved is hard. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians one twenty six. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy, when God called you? Few people, huh? It's rare and it's hard. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 23, Assuredly I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is it hard for a rich man? Well, many reasons. One thing is that he or she is convinced that they have everything they need, right? And they don't believe that what they have, some creator has been their provider. They don't believe that. Right, And so it's harder for the rich man. The poor man has more of a tendency to pray for his daily bread, to pray for his child to be healed, to pray for rent or whatever, the mortgage, to pray for the future of his family. But the rich man doesn't worry for a sliver of a second about food or the future welfare of his family. They're set with the best health care coverage and doctors that money can buy. The rich person doesn't really see their need for God. And that's why I was saying earlier, and I think it can definitely be any one of us here who live in the United States of America. When was the last time you really worried about where you were going to get your food? I, I think that we're rich. I think that with the running water, I think that with the electricity, I think that with the cell phones, I think with all the stuff that we have, if I had to guess, I would say that when God looks at us on planet Earth, he would say, Manny, you're rich. And so James would say, Manny, you're rich. Let the rich man glory in his humiliation. Thank God. Thank God that somehow this rich man, this man who was up there on that high horse who had everything, thank God that there came a moment in my life where I acknowledged I need Jesus. Because there's a lot of people, they might even have you know, riches, they might be very religious, they might be very moral, but they need to be humbled. Because if you go before God and you stand before God in your condition, you will perish. And so he's saying, let the, the lowly man glory in his exaltation. Let the rich man glory in his humiliation. You know why the rich man doesn't serve the Lord? Many reasons. He's not only convinced that he has everything he needs. 
He's also distracted with everything that he has. You know, remember the rich young ruler? Jesus said, hey, you, you know, the the rich young ruler came to Jesus. He knew something was missing in his life. And he said, Lord, what do I need to do? He tell you eternal life. And Jesus gave him some of the commandments, tried to bring him to conviction. The guy thought he had kept them all. And the Lord said, okay, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And what did the rich young ruler do? He just said, shine it. Why? He walked away sorrowful. Why? Because he had many possessions. And those possessions possessed him, right? One thing I've noticed in life is that the more you attain, the more time it takes to maintain all the things that you attain. You have to wax the car, and then you have to wax the cars, plural. And then you have to wet the boat, or you have to give the RV a tune-up, and you have to take the nice clothes to the cleaners, and you have to read the Wall Street Journal, or the Dalstro Jones Industrial, whatever it might be. And this this man, before you know it, you hardly have any time for God. And you know what? Our life can be so filled with things to do because of all the money that we have. That, you know, next thing you know, who needs God? I mean, you're, we're fine having a good time. That's why it's hard for a rich man. And then there's the education that they receive. Sometimes going to these schools that mess them up. Sometimes. Sometimes it's the friends that they, they you know, they run with. And so those influences... Now, it's not impossible for a rich man. Jesus said it's not impossible. With God, all things are possible. And there's some rich people who can handle it, and they really love the Lord. So when a rich man does get saved, James says, rejoice, Mr. Rich Man, that you've been brought to that place of spiritual poverty and bankruptcy, to that place of honesty and humility and the realization that you need God. You know, if you're here today and you're a Christian, You know what that means? That means somewhere along your journey, you acknowledged that you weren't good enough. If you're here today and you haven't given your life to Christ, and I'm talking about real, then somewhere along the line or today, you're in a place where you think you're too good. You don't think you need Jesus? Really? You know, when I got saved, and I talk about this a lot, you guys, and I apologize, you know, I have to admit that for me, I got zapped with lightning. I, I, I felt it. But it doesn't have to be something you feel. It just has to be something that's real. Do you believe you're a sinner in need of a Savior? Do you? Do you believe that Jesus died on a cross for you and rose again? Have you given him your heart? If you have, then you're saved. If you haven't, I beg you that you would do that today. Because I'm telling you, I'm just a man, but I am a man blessed to be able to be a pastor. And I know the Bible, and I know God, and I know this. He loves you. He loves you. With a love that I cannot articulate. And the only question is, will you love him back? 
let go of those sins. He'll help you with it. Just come to him as you are and you watch what God will do. Because let me tell you something about death. Death comes certainly and death comes suddenly. You know, I was so brokenhearted the other day, walking, driving down the street where I live and seeing all these candles and flowers and, you know, things like that. Because this 19-year-old was driving perfectly fine, but someone was drinking and driving, going the other way, and T-boned her, and she died instantly. And that's what James talks about right here. Look at verse 10. He says, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away with his pursuits. You know, I think what he's saying right here, because remember, he's still talking about the rich man. He's saying rich people, man, to be honest, they got a pretty good life. Huh, some of you guys are rich. Some of you guys got money. Some of you guys, you know what I'm talking about. Every once in a while, do you ever get filet mignon? I'm just asking. Just asking. You know, every once in a while, you get a fancy dinner or whatever. You might have a nice vehicle. You might have a nice place to live. You got this nice, comfortable bed with these fancy pillows, whatever it might be. The big old TV you got in your whatever. I don't know. Life is kind of like a flower. It's beautiful. It's a flower for a moment. It's this beautiful flower. That's what he's saying to these rich people. It's like a flower. I remember going for a walk with my wife and seeing this beautiful flowers right there on the street. And then, man, it just seemed to me like a week later, we went by the same place. And, man, it was all brown and ugly. And I'm like, whoa. Just like the Bible says, it really happens, huh? And that's what he's saying. I think what James is saying is not just, hey, celebrate, you know, low people, celebrate high people, celebrate salvation. I think what he's also saying is contemplate, contemplate. Be careful because the rich pursuits of the world that sometimes you lose track of the, 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 the truth that you're going to die one day and you have to be ready to give an account. Do I honestly concede that I do not have tomorrow guaranteed? I pray that we would. You know, the rich man, it says, will fade away in his pursuits. And that means he will extinguish. He will waste away. You know, because we're just, we're just, man, all these things that we're busy seeking after and involved in and engaged in and spending all our time is, it got nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with God. And our pursuit, what I've learned in life is my pursuit is this all about God, that everything I do, I do is unto the Lord. And you might be here and you're like, well, Manny, you went to Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, but you want to know something? I went to Disneyland with my family. And I'm telling you, you guys, I, you, guys you don't know my heart, but I'm telling you this, there's nothing like being with my family. Sometimes we do things and that's the motivation of our heart. And it's all about the kingdom. It really is. And so, in closing, let me just, uh, the pursuits, the pursuits. Do you guys know this? I want to close with this, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm done. You're like, Manny, you're done. Okay, just give me a minute, okay? Did you know that Jesus said, follow me? How many of you guys know that? Jesus said to all of you, he just said, this is really simple, I want to be a Christian, follow me. That's all he said, follow me. How many of you be willing to follow him? 
is curious. So you want to do that? He will lead you in a personal relationship with God. But I'll tell you what, it's going to require a choice between this world and the next world. In Ryan's book, I will just tell you this about the last chapter. He has one uh, in the very last chapter, a little analogy. He says, when you buy property, when you buy real estate, this is what the real estate agent will tell you. Location, location, location. Where will be your location after you die? Heaven or hell? Your choice. You choose Jesus, you got heaven. You don't choose Jesus, you've chosen hell. So we have to make that choice. You're like, well, Manny, help me out with this. Well, let me give you one last illustration. What if one day you're walking to work and you're getting a little tired and the devil comes and offers you this bike? So you're walking, you're tired, and let's just say he offers you this one uh, mountain bike. Now, that's the most expensive bike in the world. Did you guys know that? Guess how much that bike costs? A million dollars. A million dollars. It's gold, and it's designed and launched by Hugh Power as the world's most expensive bicycle, also known as the Beverly Hills Edition, or fat bike with the framework of 24 karat pure gold. It has several high-tech features, and every part of the bicycle is electroplated and certified, customized emblem, diamond embellishments, chocolate brown seats made of alligator skin, artistic features that add elegance and extravagance to the bike. And so let's just say you're walking, you're getting tired, and the devil says, hey, I'm gonna give you, I want to give you one of these, okay? But then this is, this is how simple it is. And I know it's a silly illustration, but then let's just say God says, well, hold on a second, hold on a second. Before you go the devil's bike, I want to offer you my car. But you have to wait five minutes. And let's just say the car that he offered you <laughs> was the Bugatti La Voiture Neuer. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that properly, <laughs> man. But this car right here is worth $19 million. God says this, but all you got to do is wait five minutes. Wouldn't you say it's worth the wait? Wouldn't you say that? This car, I, I don't have time to read you all the features. Maybe when you buy one, you can figure it all out. But <laughs> <laughs> all I'm saying is, why would anyone choose what the devil has to offer and not choose what God does? Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. One day we'll be home in heaven and it'll be worth it. And so, Lord, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for being so good to us. I pray, Lord, that you would bless your people. Lord, that we would rejoice, that we would rejoice. And I know, Lord, emotions and all that kind of stuff, it can be difficult sometimes. But let there be that peace dancing inside of us. Lord, I pray that you would bless your people with that joy for the journey. And Lord, I, I, I pray if there is anyone here today who doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, that right here, right where they're at, they would say yes, yes to Jesus. And if you're here and you want to do that, this is just between you and the Lord. It, it doesn't have to be 
in front of us right now, but this is between you and the Lord. If you want the Lord, then I want you to pray this prayer in your heart. And you just pray this prayer, Lord, I I come to you today and I admit I have sinned, but I turn from my sin and I place my faith in Jesus Christ. I believe he died for me, rose again. And Lord, it might not be something I feel, but it's real, I believe. So write my name in the book of life and help me to be a Christian, to live that life from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, it's between you and the Lord, but you have to tell somebody. You've got to make it public. Jesus said, don't be ashamed. So I pray that you would follow him Okay.